0: So what what we do before we get started is we do is awesome. we do one karaoke song of your choice. Yeah, you get to pick really? the guest guests to decide.
1: <laughs> I sang um, karaoke on this podcast once, but they didn't uh, align the music to my singing and Oof. put it on and it was Must have sounded good. It was terrible. <laughs> I also chose Don't Know Why by Nora Jones, which was.
2: Can you hit notes like that? Yeah. Can you sing?
1: sing? I waited till I saw. Wow. The sun. All right. We should do karaoke. Are we rolling mics? <laughs> <laughs> we are. All right. Yeah. Amelia, you're going to be famous. Can you moved to your wife just yeah. a little
0: bit. Yeah. Yo, you know what's weird? So, Jim O'Shaughnessy did a podcast on mimetic behavior. And now that hey, you don't. Keep, keep referencing that. No, should I listen to that? No, because listen, you don't think about that on a daily basis that we just f***ing copy everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I thought about that because I bought Altoids. Did you really? I never bought Altoids.
2: Altoids are oh. a meme
0: now? I, bought, I, bought, I have Altoids <laughs> in my office. When, of you, I I go Al- bad, Al- when I
3: go to Walgreens next, are we getting
0: Altoids? Oh, I buy Altoids. Oh, did, I, I, only saw, buy I was on CVS. I said, you know what? I'm going to get some Altoids.
1: It's the extraordinary... Is this still the captions? The extraordinarily strong mint?
2: Curiously strong mint. I knew Close it was enough. A, it's, you the, and this is the strongest flavor. Wintergreen. <laughs>
0: Not only did I buy Altoids, I bought those. Yeah, this is the one. That's the best one. I had Krispy Kreme today for the first time in about three years.
1: Did you get it free because of, did you show your vaccination card? No. You get it free.
0: They're going public. I paid two bucks for two donuts.
1: You should have. Two bucks
0: for two, actually it was $2.09. There's no inflation in donuts.
3: I had Chick-fil-A for the first time in years. How much was it? It was expensive. Yes, yeah. in this economy, <laughs> like twenty four. I we got a salad with my chicken.
0: Wait, twenty four what? It was twenty four dollars. Dollars for what?
3: For, 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 for chicken. Did you have a bottle of wine? Wait, so what? Did, what has
1: a Chick Fil A? Yeah, what exactly <laughs>
3: did you get? A Caesar salad yeah. and uh, twelve nuggets. Twelve chickens.
0: Twelve chickens. That's a lot of chickens. So let's <laughs> be 12 honest. Twelve nuggets. Twelve nuggets. Nuggets. Oh, nuggets. Okay, that's a lot. Were you were you taken aback? <laughs> It's like
2: 24 bucks. Krispy Kreme is going to be an IPO, 4 billion valuation. It's
0: a lot it, didn't of go well, it
2: didn't go well the first time.
0: Actually, that's a misnomer. What do you mean it's a misnomer? It's not a misnomer. That's, I used the wrong word. But that's not necessarily true. So they did file Chapter 11 in 2005, but they went public at the top. And mm. for five years, they were the best performing stock before, the, before that. Before, before it, it went bankrupt? Before it went bankrupt. So you're, you're, you're partially right. Why did you look at this? I read that uh, a few weeks ago when it was going public.
2: Well, I traded it in real life. Did you? And I didn't make money. <laughs> I didn't make money.
0: So, S- S&P closed at an all time high today. What do we think? What do we think? Bullish. Not bad. Did, okay. N-
2: did Nasdaq also?
0: Nasdaq did too.
2: Now I'm bullish. How many all time highs this year? A lot for the S P. A lot, right?
0: Twenty. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm making it yeah. up. Jeremy, you know how many? How many highs? I don't, Many, I don't do several, that highs, <laughs> several highs, several I, highs. I saw this last year. I saw this yesterday. I was, uh, the S and P. I know we know that the market did well last year, but it's just fucking crazy reminding ourselves. The S and P was up eighteen percent last year.
2: Triple better than average. Eighteen <laughs> percent. Fastest ever decline.
0: Fastest ever rebound.
2: All right. Are we, are we are we ready to go? This is industry stuff, guys. Don't. <laughs> this is real professional. Don't get distracted. Caddyshack three. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. So, all right. So, uh, first of all, welcome back to an all-new edition of The Compound and Friends. Those of you who are listening, we appreciate it. Uh, Got a great show on tap today. Duncan is here. Michael Batnick is here. John is here. Amelia Garland is with us today. Amelia is the head of audience development at CityWire. That's the right title?
1: Yes. You got it. Nailed it.
2: All right. Uh, Jeremy Schwartz is here, and Jeremy is the global head of research at Wisdom Tree. How's everybody feeling? Feeling great. Great to be back in New York. First time in 15 months. This is your first time in Manhattan. Wow. That's. I mean, I'm still blown away by that.
3: You
1: didn't have
2: any errands to run.
3: Nothing at all. <laughs> Commute from Philly. The first time on Amtrak. First time in a hotel.
0: Busy on the Amtrak.
3: It was packed. The station was kind of empty um, in both Philly and New York, but uh,
2: it was uh, the train was was packed.
3: So, so Last time
0: Jeremy was here, that Chick-fil-A was like $14.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, you got, you got here, and within the first hour, you spent $25 on chicken nuggets. So you're definitely worth in it. New York now.
1: Definitely worth it. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Um, and, all right, so first of all, you guys haven't met each other, but you know her dad and my brother it's a small asset yeah. management industry um
3: and uh and and we were together at a conference in chile one of my favorite places i've ever hosted a conference with mm-hmm. chilean private wealth clients a few years ago
2: how many people show up to a, uh, an asset management conference in chile is it
3: well we have a strong latin american presence mm-hmm. uh and we probably had 30 to 50 clients there okay and what do they do they buy u.s funds from you guys the pensions, I mean, it's interesting. Pensions down there actually love ETFs. I mean, institutionally, it's even more, I'd say they're further along, whether it's Chile, Peru, mm-hmm. Mexico, big ETF buyers. Like we're, we're talking like the major pensions in Chile, which which everybody's forced savings there. Like everybody's saving like 15% a year and they have choices of six places they could put. And these institutional buyers love the ETF structure.
2: Okay. So they didn't have this whole legacy thing. They were able to kind of build that from scratch. I think they just like the simplicity. They don't want to talk to us when they come in and they come out. They could easily execute a trade. Right. They have no paperwork with us. Right. They they can they can sneak out of an ETF as fast as they can get in. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right. Fair enough. Um so, all right. So we're going to talk about what happened this week and do some headlines. I think uh I think the Fed downplaying the threat of inflation this week. Mm-hmm. Markets didn't seem phased by that. I think mm-hmm. the markets are like still just like go along to get along. Like there are no bond vigilantes. Um, I I feel like, uh, well, let me go to this. He testified before Congress and uh, the Republicans were really looking to push on whether or not we're going to have hyperinflation like the 1970s and 80s. -hmm. And he was basically like very, very unlikely. And this is his actual quote. What we're seeing now, we believe is inflation in particular categories of goods and services like Chick-fil-A, that are being directly <laughs> affected by this unique historical event that none of us have ever lived through before. Uh, all true. And then he's basically saying, extremely strong demand for labor, goods, and services, compounded by a supply side, caught a little bit flat-footed. Uh, I, I guess there's nothing in there that the evidence would say is not true.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, I mean, it, that is the reality that we're all living with. And I, th- I feel like stocks, at least- are pretty okay with it so far. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, The, the markets like,
3: you know, if they were, if, if they view it as transitory, so the Fed's not going to tighten. This When you saw at the, after the last meeting, they the, the headlines were reading hawkish surprise because there was a, the dots, the sort of dot plot started moving up. like mm-hmm. a year earlier. Right. Uh, so, you know, Professor Siegel, I've worked with for 20 years now, called that one. He's, you know, the, the week before, he's like, these headlines are going to read hawkish surprise. And he still thinks that they need, that the, it's going to be a continually hawkish surprise, like throughout the summer, that that the taper is going to be announced before, that, there, that the dot plot could go from 2023 to 2022. Even in September, Dot's plot, he thinks you could have some people calling for not the consensus, but a few people saying 2021 because he's very he thinks this inflation is not transitory at all. Thinks a lot of the money supply in the system is. Is going to put inflation pressures. Wait, so Professor Siegel does? He's a big inflation is is per, is 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 a big is a big thing. Yeah. Hmm.
0: He wasn't he a
3: was he a Fed watcher? Or he was an economist. So it's funny. I mean, every, he's known for stocks for the long run, but his training at MIT was as his PhDs in monetary economics. So he was trained really to be a, as an economist, and then mm-hmm. he sort of learned the markets and and stuff through research and his own learnings at, at Wharton. But so his he's his uh his background here is in monetary theory
0: so one of the things that I keep coming back to is that we thought that inflation was going to come from demand it instead came from, from supply shocks mm-hmm. and we haven't even seen the demand trickle through so what's going to happen you if don't think' both at the same time i mean it's starting to happen but I think it's more supply than demand at this point
1: yeah it's global it's global supply chain disruptors that's that's what's happening and i think though we've People don't want to see another taper tantrum like we saw in 2013, not to go against Professor, but I do think it's um, the market isn't ready for the the Fed to taper. And it seems unlikely that the Fed would risk that.
2: Taper tantrum was a bigger event for bonds than stocks. Yeah. Like just looking back, I looked at the S&P max drawdown. Seven or eight. I mean, we've had worse corrections for no reason at all. In the, mm-hmm. By the end of the year, the, the equities were, were doing pretty well. The sort of we He
3: called for tremors throughout this year from this, or the market's going to continually adjust as they, as they. You're, at least his view, you're going to start to continue to see these hawkish surprise headlines. Uh, and then it'll be a little downdrafts, but generally it's going to be very robust profits, very robust economy. So still good for stocks, but you will likely see.
2: The other thing with this is it's a freak show. Like there's no precedent for any of this. This is the mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal. The U.S. economic recovery is unlike any in recent history, powered by consumers with trillions in extra savings. <laughs> Typically doesn't happen during a recession. Uh, businesses eager to hire an enormous policy support. Uh, new businesses are popping up at the fastest pace on record. Again, mm-hmm. not something we usually associate with the environment a year after a recession starts. Um, uh, qu- uh, quit rates, the highest level back to the year 2000. American household debt service burdens at their lowest level since 1980. Again, you, you don't see that right after a recession. Um, and the Dow Jones up 18% from before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. Home prices 14% higher in the same period of time. So I, I, I guess, I, I'm guessing Professor Siegel would probably agree. It's very hard to think of any analog in economic history for this. And it feels more like a natural disaster recovery than a recession recovery.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, the labor supply shortages are something he said he
3: hasn't seen ever in his lifetime. Um and the the spending that we we put in the system, and what's different this time is usually have all these imbalances what cause you to go to recession. Here we shut down, but we've done Called six trillion in total relief when you look at all the combined packages mm-hmm. of how much we put in the system, and that's why these M two money supply growths, which is checking accounts, like how much cash is in people's checking accounts, is up forty percent. Like think about you, how big that number is. It's a, mm-hmm. it, it, that the the, at, the annual growth in money supply was five percent a year, five point six percent a year for like thirty years, and then it was twelve percent a year. Like it, it's going at a pace that that is what. The pace of the inflation
0: of the seventies and eighties. So we don't know what the ramifications of all this are going to be. It's way too early to to say, obviously. Well, what are what are advisors talking about um, with their
2: clients, Amelia? Like when this subject comes up, what do you keep hearing? Because I know you you talk to more RIA's yeah. than maybe anybody I know. <laughs> so like, what kinds of things yeah. are you hearing that they're relaying to their clients? Mm-hmm. Because it's so unprecedented.
1: Well, I think it's been a concern. It's been the topic of inflation has come up, especially this week, as we've seen. But they don't believe we're going to head towards hyperinflation like we saw in the 1970s and and early 80s, as the same deflationary forces that have kept inflation low over the last 20 years are still in effect, right? Globalization, technology, aging demographic. Um, So it's something that they have to educate clients on. I mean, it's advisors that have lived through these cycles know. Um, As you said, Josh, I mean, we've never seen anything like this. It's much more akin to a a natural disaster than. There are probably
2: a thousand advisors total who lived through the 1970s. So none of us like have that as a reference point.
1: Yeah. Advisors are younger. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of them educating themselves that they haven't lived through it, but also trying to manage the expectations of what, what their clients are expecting, especially in portfolios too at the moment. And um their positioning in portfolios with with fixed income in general um that's that's been changed That's changing a lot like how are you how are you in positioning of, i think the 60 40 portfolio is changing too um with the with this with the impact of the inflation at the moment
2: yeah i think like people are more open minded to alternatives than they've been in a long time mm-hmm. just because of the forward returns math and maybe you'll correct me jeremy but it looks pretty shitty to me like <laughs> Record high multiples for stocks and record low bond yields or close to mm-hmm. record yeah. low bond yields. Um, and you wrote about this. So I want to pull Do we have this? Do we have these charts from Jeremy's piece? So I thought this was like, I thought this was a really good framing. Um, you were writing about the diversification that you normally would get from bonds versus stocks having gone away. Or at levels that rarely seen this century is the way you phrased it. What are you, What are you telling us here? So the core we, we pulled the chart, and this is
3: from my friend Warren Pies at Third Three Fourteen Research. He came from Ned Davis, started his own research firm. Uh, we became a client, and and really interesting analytics. Uh, and and this shows that stock bond correlation going back and historically, bonds have been this ultimate hedge for stocks mm-hmm. that we have risk off bond yields fall bond prices go up and and sort of that's sort of the basics of the 6040 but you know, the last you know since the 1980s you've had the, one of the greatest bull market in bonds uh and so because yield just continually fell and so now the question is if this inflation narrative changes mm-hmm. That's when this correlation can break down, and that bonds can start bonds and stocks can start to go down together. And bond rise bond yields rising could be one of the catalysts to get stocks to go
0: down. So let me let me push back on this a little. Uh, Obviously, bonds are what nobody's excited about. Bonds. I'm not excited about bonds. Um, But we've been having these exact conversations since probably 20. I mean, 13, 12. I know it's been it's been a long time. That bond rates have nowhere to go but up, which was not true. But we we learned, (laughs) but they've continued to come down and stocks have continued to go up. So I'm not saying that just because it's worked to date that we should expect it to repeat going forward. I certainly don't. But what if out of fears that rising interest rates are going to, which is obviously going to be bad bad for bonds, is going to bring back, bring down the stock market. What if the cure is worse than the disease? So you go looking for ways to hedge your portfolio, to mitigate Mm -hmm. the risk, and then you go into a Frankenstein portfolio and totally yourself up.
3: That's fair. I mean, I think that's 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 an issue. I mean, so what what do you do besides you know the bonds are, you get your principal back, right? That's the uh, that's the upside. <laughs> that's the that's the great thing, and so that could be the best thing to do. Um, you, know, the, you don't get your principal back
2: at four and a half percent inflation. inflation after yeah. inflation, you Which don't. even if we think it's transitory, it probably doesn't return back to trend. It's pro- like inflation probably is now two and a half three percent versus one to one and a half percent. I mean so the, you're not getting your principal back. The tips. I
3: mean, it's priced into the market today. If you look at the tips yields, which are the after inflation adjusted bond yields, those are negative eighty basis points today. So you're basically giving the government for every hundred dollars, you're taking ninety-two dollars back ten years from now I, for, with your inflation adjustment that you're talking about. That's you
2: would have you would think that's insane. Like why would you do that? Well, but you're that, doing that yeah. with the expectation that if there's a twenty percent sell-off in stocks, you'll have that dry powder. I can't think of any other good
0: reason to yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. And there are there are sensible alternatives to just stocks and bonds, but there's also a lot of really nonsensical ones as well.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what do you think is a replacement for this? Because I think in the article you mentioned commodities, and looking at, I mean, Bitcoin. Well, I know we're we'll getting into that eventually, but. Bitcoin's lost half its value, right? That's vo- that's very volatile. Yeah, it and turns your out not a, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> not a great
0: inflation hedge.
1: not so. a great there's, inflation hedge.
0: There's trade-offs, right? Like yeah. there's, there's trade-offs for everything. So uh, I totally get the fact that bonds are not exactly exciting right now, but I still think they serve an important role in somebody's portfolio. Exactly. Want. Unless you're, you know, not everybody's able to stomach a 30% drawdown in 20 days, which is what we had last year.
1: Yeah. I, I do. I do think though there's still 10 trillion in negative yielding debt, which tells you that, Zero isn't the floor and you can rally below and still offset your losses and equities. Right? It's I think you can it can get lower, but Neg- I know
2: negative rates here breaks the banks, like it 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 wrecks big sectors of the economy the mm-hmm. way that it has in Europe. Yeah, um, look at Europe. Europe um, what what do you do long. what do you do with commodities, Jeremy? So you're looking at you're looking at commodities since nineteen ninety eight. They started acting like stocks. Is that what you're showing us? So the the, the chart I showed was,
3: you know, in the, in since '98, you know, you basically had bonds that on 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 practically all the days it was like something like 87 days, bonds on the worst days for stocks, bonds did well, and 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 commodities didn't do well during those those worst days in the, recent times, but in. Pre- pre-98, it was sort of like a coin flip and commodities were just as good of a diversifier in certain environments on the worst days for stocks that could can sometimes offset that. And that's where I do think if, if, the, if Siegel is right that this inflation narrative is the main scare, that's where you're looking for things that would – you know, bonds could go down more, and then that's where this things like commodities would be one of the natural. Places. Jeremy, don't
0: don't don't you agree that we have to take a lot of that historical data with a grain of salt? Corey's written about this a lot, especially commodities. The financialization of commodities pre nineteen ninety eight. How did investors access commodities? They really didn't through mm-hmm. gold mining uh, mutual funds. Um, and certainly, the futures market was tiny. There was no retail. And certainly, the, the bond market today. Obviously, interest rates are a lot different today than they are back then. But Fed Fed particip- intervention, participation, whatever you want to call it, foreign demand. The makeup of the bond market today is also very different than what it was pre nineteen ninety eight. So I, I love historical comparisons, but I just think you have to be careful a little bit.
1: How you look at it,
0: yeah. Don't you also think though that a lot of the inflation is coming from the wealth effect,
2: which is the stock market booming? And if people get scared about inflation, stocks sell off.
0: Yeah, who cares about bonds? Just, just no, bu- no problem. <laughs> <laughs> just put your money in stocks; they never go down.
3: It, I mean, the money supply issue is is cash in people's checking accounts, so it's it's be it's beyond just the the uh, traditional wealth effect. Yeah, I mean, there, did there, you read about that. this
0: right? The, re, the reclassification of M two. Didn't you write something so about
3: that? that? I mean, or the account, been... the
0: accounting, sh- uh, not shenanigans, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, the yeah.
3: reclassifications that was there was this m1 thing and m2 thing and and uh yeah they did reclassify some of that from
0: so it's not it's not to say that they didn't print a shitload of money but there was also some reclassification issues that m2 is the better number to look at whereas m1 had this big spike because of what's the difference
2: between m1 and m2 when people look at like the data of cash in the economy what are they looking at
3: I don't have the exact detail in my mind of what is that main difference. It had to do with the checking accounts versus savings accounts, and what savings accounts were reclassified. Right. There
2: was an t- arcane technical detail. So on Either what. way, we know everyone has more cash than they than yes, they've ever yes, had yes, before. Yes. Yeah. I, I just feel like if people get scared out of the out of the stock market and if home prices stop going up, some of the inflation, some of the edge comes out of inflation. Like I I I think the Fe, the the Fed's measure of inflation, they're looking at core PCE. Um, they're looking at things that I think get taken care of if people stop
0: acting so bullish. I also think we're, we're, we're not focusing on the right thing here for years. We had low nominal GDP growth mm-hmm. and now we could be in for a boom. And all of a sudden we go from, why aren't we growing to we're overheating and yeah. aren't stocks like the best hedge for uh, inflation? Because a lot of the the costs, the increase in costs can get passed along to consumers. We see it's that crazy.
1: People are predicting GDP growth of roughly 7% this year and potentially up to 5% next year, which we haven't seen since before I was born, which is before ninety ninety two. So are,
3: are we overthinking this? <laughs> no, we we often say like, you know, when you look at the 70s and 80s, the, you had 6% inflation for two decades. And you, dividends on the S&P also grew over 6% a year for those two mm-hmm. decades. So like yeah. you, they've been able to participate in high inflation decades, low inflation decades, and so, stocks are one of those ultimate real assets. To your point, that they the companies grow prices and then sales, and, and you're and going to get massive dividend
0: growth this year. All the companies that there was an announcement today. Who who somebody raised their dividend by 17 percent today? It was a it was a big brand, a big giant company. I, sorry, I can't remember who. It all
2: was. All of the all of the companies that basically did not do dividend increases in 2020 for good reason, or even suspended their dividends. Uh, Goldman is saying most of that hasn't even come back yet. Mm. And you guys are very dividend oriented. Uh, or total return-oriented? Yeah, I have, I have a
3: dividend. Like, I was doing a weekly dividend monitor during the crisis because there were so many cuts, um, particularly from small-cap companies. If you if you look at the difference between large-caps and small-caps last year, it was maybe 5% down on large-caps with 25%, 26 30% down for
2: some of the mid- and small-cap businesses. On, on how cap. much they were paying out in dividends? Total dollar values. Kroger. Kroger um, was a
0: company. Kroger raised their dividend by 17% today.
2: This is, uh, oh, it's crazy. This, is, this is Goldman Sachs on dividends and buybacks. We forecast S&P 500 dividends to grow by 4.5% a year on average over the next decade, including 6% growth this year and 6% growth in 2022. There's your inflation edge right there. <laughs> 4% is a low
3: number. I mean, the, the, the if you go back to 1957 when the S&P started, it was over 5% a year. And, mm. and I would argue it's actually going to be higher because of all the buybacks people do. Like the, the per share numbers on the S&P – because we're doing as much buybacks today that's reducing the share counts and would I think lead to you have to combine the higher. two yeah. I was looking
0: at yarddeny he updates this on a daily basis at, at uh dividends and buybacks and we're going to be past I think Q1 2020 we're going to be past that in, in in pretty much no time at all
2: so we're all right so the, the the peak for buybacks was Q4 2018 which was about a year after the tax uh the tax cuts for corporations. And then it's been down ever since. Last year, obviously, it almost disappeared. Um, but this year, already, by middle of June, U.S. companies have announced 567 billion buybacks, which puts us on pace for a record. Goldman saying $726 billion for 2021 in buyback activity. Corporates and now 10 million new retail uh, investors who have opened accounts for the first time competing for stocks. So like- even if you have inflation it's hard to like figure out a better solution like at at least in my mind you're going to get a boom in in dividends buybacks and people accumulating stock because what else are they doing with their money
0: i mean
3: i, I mean I, we agree i mean we talk about the 6 the new 60 40 is sort of like we were calling it the 75 25 because, and sort of that low expected return in bonds that that we thought that was more um, sort of bonds being more expensive than stocks being expensive, even though stocks are, you know, the U.S. stocks are, quote, unquote, expensive. Like bonds are more expensive compared to their long-term averages. Um, and so that 75-25, we've been moving things to like a 3% goal of 3% commodities and sort of Siegel models that we work on together. But uh, yeah, we, we definitely agree that the case for stocks in if a 60-40. 70, if 75-25 mm-hmm.
2: is the new 60-40, then the advisor's role is to just say to a client, look, you're going to have to deal with more volatility. Like this yeah. the, that's the the answer. unfortunately is behavioral. It's not you know what are the, what are the best places to put the money? Like well, it's just part of the game now.
1: That's what this pandemic showed, right? I'm um, advisors had to I mean had to have conversations they've never had before to clients and everyone had an idea of what their risk tolerance was pre this pandemic, but that completely changed afterwards. Yeah, yes. no
0: no no advisor has ever walked their client through a global pandemic.
1: No. <laughs> And, and, ho- and
0: hopefully never again. No, yeah. li- no living advisor. Right. Knock
1: on wood. Yeah, exactly. So I think the idea of volatility, the idea of risk has just changed dramatically in the last year. And your risk profiles have had to evolve. And as you said, Josh, I mean, it just really connects again to behavioral finance. What, incorporating yeah. those principles. What yeah, does it's it like, mean? All right,
2: here's the optimal portfolio. That's the good news. We'll mm-hmm. do 75-25. The bad news is you have to live with bigger drawdowns, maybe mm-hmm. more frequent drawdowns than you otherwise would have in order to accomplish the goals that you told us you you want to accomplish. And it's not, it's you know, it's not magic. That's just the answer. So, All
0: right, let's move on to Bitcoin. Balchunas did a, a really interesting poll. What is the SEC's biggest true worry? Because we're all saying, like, what the hell are they waiting for at this point, right? So Balchunas said, what's their biggest worry, mm-hmm. delaying and delaying on approving a Bitcoin ETF? And the largest answer, like, by a substantial margin with 46% of the votes was, Worried about USD slash government. What does that mean? That I guess the government feels threatened by Bitcoin. They're working it's on their better. central bank digital currency. But who within the government has the power this to it, call the SEC
2: and be like, don't approve it because it's going to wreck the dollar? You don't think so? No. Come on. What this is, is just the, the standard. Who does that? The Treasury? <laughs> <Is> Janet Yellen? <laughs> who is calling?
3: The well, I don't the know SEC. who. This is just the standard Twitter narrative of like, you Know the the, the the fears about the government coming in at and attacking that that's what you would expect from Twitter to respond. Right, so, you know,
0: you know this much better than but. we do. Yeah,
3: by
2: the way, they didn't Eric Balchunas didn't poll uh, employees of the SEC, he pulled Twitter. So, he pulled what's Twitter. SEC's biggest worry according to Twitter? Yeah, is the poll. Okay, well, fine, right? He pulled
1: Twitter, but I think talking to RIAs, it's a complete mixed bag on this because most believe the SEC has a responsibility to provide access to crypto because they have in no way restricted investing in this product whatsoever before. And it's a more traditional way to get access to it. Um, But I think the bigger hurdles, which were brought up in an article we put together at CityWire by um, Morningstar, Ben Johnson there. I mean, one of the big hurdles they say is the potential for fraud and manipulation in the underlying market.
0: What's the SEC going to do about that?
1: but how can they i mean how can they get past that uh, yeah what can they do i mean it's more regulation i guess but it's
3: so, so this is their in, in our view this is their real concern i mean you we, guys have anything filed for this we we filed, have though? products in europe and we have filings okay. um, and we so we are we're obviously having ongoing dialogue and this is this is a the pushback that you get, and there, the, so the manipulation concern is that there's unregulated exchanges, and yes. and there's studies that show like these spoofing trades and other mm-hmm. types of trades that have these ca- what 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 Corey Austin calls cascading liquidations, where there's all this leverage in the system, and then you get a few spoofs, and then these things start cascading, and and you get the leverage on wines and and all those things, and so that is the that is on their mind the manipulation
2: what they call manipulation on these ex, on, on on exchanges that they don't regulate so their their concern is they approve a few exchange traded products for this and they are doing so without really fully being able to i don't want to say control but monitor what's happening with the underlying asset itself mm-hmm. in a way that they can with stocks for example i mean yeah. what's strange is you now have a futures market so you have the
3: bitcoin futures market you and you've got also, they've approved certain trust products. Now, the certain trust products have this additional thing that you can't create and redeem, like so, people can't get their money out. They can trade at big
2: discounts to the underlying. Yeah, if you give Grayscale or Osprey or the and Bitwise, those are the three publicly traded trusts. If you give them money as part of the private placement like that money's not liquid the next day in the way that an ETF would be.
3: So that's the challenge like you've approved certain structures or you've allowed them to trade for whatever reason and the ETF would 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 solve certain things on top of well, that. Well
0: but and investors are going to get exposure to Bitcoin Well, they're, they're doing it either way. Whether, and and that's, some, the big well, some, point. that's
1: the thing. That's the thing that doesn't make sense. And
0: some people so they're allowing microstrategy to issue more shares to buy more Bitcoin and I got several emails last week cuz we were saying why who's buying MicroStrategy? like People are buying it as a Bitcoin proxy.
2: Yeah, it's a strange one.
1: Yeah.
2: So, so now, all right. So now, so now you have this situation where people are doing it anyway. And then, like, I would also just like say, you really have no way of knowing how much manipulation is in the oil market either. There's literally a group of countries who call themselves a cartel. You're <laughs> going to tell me that's not a manipulated market? Like, they announce their manipulations. They literally say, this is what we're going to do to cut production. And then we're going we're gonna to raise production. And then they all cheat. Or to a lesser extent,
0: s- the meme stocks.
1: Meme stocks, Dogecoin. Look, right. at, that was market manipulation. Look at Musk. He's fine, fine for what he did there. I mean, that, I think market manipulation is everywhere lately.
0: Well, it's so just it – just, this doesn't really pass the smell test. Like, there are so many other more dangerous products, in my opinion, that they have no problem improving.
2: Why is there yeah. so much leverage in the Bitcoin market? It's already four times more volatile than stocks. Why do people feel the need to – Buy the most volatile asset they can. Have you ever heard and then of? And Also, leverage it. F- They're
0: trying. It's called fun. Is that what? <laughs> that's what it's all about. Fun.
1: Not fund because that's yeah, not approved no, no, yet. This is
0: fun. This is fun. I,
3: <laughs> Jeremy, is Bitcoin an asset class? I mean, uh, the narrative that seems to have dominated is this digital gold narrative, and and actually, the use case is that's that died.
2: That's over. Digi- well, I'm saying that. Well, what is it? then?
0: it, it started as as digital currency, peer to peer. And now it is the store of value. It's digital gold. So I think I oh, think that,
2: So it didn't die.
0: No, I'm saying the, the use case argument, mm. in my opinion, the has died. Is, the
2: use case
3: is I'm trading. not saying
0: the use case is dead. I'm just saying that, that as a narrative is over.
3: Right. I mean, it's, it's the, the narrative I see dominating all the discussions is you got this 21 million fixed supply. That's the ultimate amount that you're eventually going to have. And the question is all the demand that comes in. Are, are there going to be more mm-hmm. people who want access? And it's a classic demand supply question. And... And so the question, the question is, what is going to be the ultimate demand?
0: So Bill, Bill Miller put it very simply. He's like, listen, the demand is the, the supply is increasing at a two percent annual pace. Do you think demand is increasing more or less than that? And I thought that was very well put. And I'm on the side of it's going to increase more than two percent a year. Um, I think I think crypto is an asset class. I don't see how you could say it isn't at this uh, point. This is Nick Colas at Data
2: Name an asset class that can lose a trillion in value over just a few weeks. Crypto without noticeably harming <laughs>
1: that happened any <laughs>
2: other capital market or global economy. The answer is virtual currencies. Why is that? Because its value, more than any other capital market, is atomized all over the world. So he's saying this started out global. Mm. It's not U.S. stocks. It's not Russian bonds. It's not the Thai bot. It's everyone. It's its,
0: it's, its own thing. It's truly, its
2: own, but it's but it's already everywhere. Do you buy into that? There was no Fed to the
3: rescue during the liquid. You know, people are saying this is you get a market that clears like you have these leverage liquidations there's a clearing price that it all settles out you f- you see where the real demand is and there's nobody like sort of unquote stepping in to I the rescue it.
0: i love it i don't i don't want to sit in the stock market but i love seeing i because i think the regulation is very important in the stock market i think circuit breakers are very important but in the crypto market i love i love you don't think i e- love how it's self regulated.
2: you don't think elon musk takes the place of the fed for bitcoin i do well that's not that you've got elon like the musk micro speaks. strategy people yeah
1: yeah i think Wait, he uh, plays what, what, what what
2: do you mean I think there are like five people who are the unofficial Bitcoin Fed. I think Novogratz. I think uh, even though they all tell you they're bullish all the time, they still seem to be able to move the price mm-hmm. with whatever new thing they announce or don't announce or whatever memes they share. That has as much of an impact intraday on digital currencies.
0: Yeah, I think that's fleeting. I don't think that. I don't think C- uh, to- uh,
2: Cubans on on
0: on the crew. I don't think that's going to stay in place forever.
1: I have a I have a question that's maybe a bit of a stretch for you guys. Do you think Bitcoin is the antonym of ESG given the carbon-intensive process of mining Bitcoin?
2: Meaning like you can't be an ESG – you can't say that you care about ESG and also own Bitcoin? Yeah.
1: I mean it's it's a bit of a stretch. I know that, but curious –
2: I
3: don't know anything about it, it, it it's, it's a tough topic. We've done some writing on it. I mean, and, and not every coin is the same. So Ether ha- was set up in this what's called proof of work. That's what Bitcoin has It's proof of work. All the miners mm-hmm. are trying to guarantee the transactions. Ether is currently set up in this sort of proof of work type system, but they're talking about moving to this proof of stake, where you show 32 Ether and that becomes a node that guarantees these things on the blockchain. And that's supposedly the ESG. So you solution. don't have to crank through all those calculations, every computer in the world at the same time. Right. That's, so it's a, right. Different, it's a different model. And, mm. But the ultimate question on this comes back down to like, do you think Bitcoin has a purpose? So like if, you don't think, if, if you don't think it has a purpose, then you're going to say it's anti-ESG. But if you think there's actually a real use case and it's adding value, then it's in a way no different than any other use of well, energy. Well,
0: it depends. Use case for who? Like the, the argument that resonates for me is people in uh, developing countries where they have a very volatile currency and their government is, is unstable, if they want to get paid in their, in their native currency and convert that into Bitcoin because they think it's going to have greater purchasing power, uh, I totally, that totally resonates with me. But is that a big enough use case to justify
2: a $2 trillion asset class? That's the, that's the
0: question. Well, that's, that's Bitcoin. And then, and that's then it's-
2: very ne- that example is a real visceral example that everyone, look, my, my, my ancestors came to America literally with like bits of gold and, and like maybe if they were lucky, a diamond sewn into the lapel of their jacket. Imagine that's how you moved. Well, yeah,
0: imagine if they had a smart wallet.
2: Could you right? Could you imagine? Could you imagine
0: if they could have done that? But Bitcoin is only Much cheaper Bitcoin channel. is only one part of it. Like to me, the smart contracts is the way more interesting thing. I've been trying to get my house refinanced for five months. It's ridiculous the amount of paperwork and nonsense nonsense that goes back and forth um, is is just beyond absurd. So I think I really earnestly believe that blockchain fixes a lot of this nonsense. All right, so let's yeah. get into this
2: uh, lifestyle creep thing because while you're trying to refinance your house to buy an even bigger. Uh, what are, you, what are you trying to do anyway? I don't even I'm trying know. To refine, I'm trying to get a lower mortgage. Just get a lower... That's it? Yeah. All right. You wrote this thing about lifestyle creep that I thought was really good. And I think, Amelia, you liked it too?
1: I loved it. Jeremy Listen, hated I'm, it,
2: but you liked it.
1: I'm definitely <laughs> paying... What was it? $60 for, I mean, that's for someone steal, to come and do my right? laundry? I like, mean,
0: it It's the I best money go, I spend.
1: I have to go to a laundromat, which... I actually am starting to love. I feel like I'm old school. I get my headphones on, listening to some really cool beats while I'm doing it.
2: Right. You're doing your own laundry. I'm
1: doing my laundry. I'm carrying it. I'm hauling it because I wait. Why do it once a month? Listen, I I let it build to the very last minute. And I'm going down the street. I'm carrying it on my back. I'm sweating. It's a process. And I hate it. I know it's coming every week. And honestly, reading this article, I think I just got to either I can (laughs) give it to them and they can do dry and fold and deliver it. Yeah. But I'm like, that's $40. It's just, it's really not that much and I mean, it, it, compared to how much exhaustion comes <laughs> into the process.
3: My number one rule at my household is whatever my wife wants, she gets. And, uh, <laughs> and in this case, basically, yeah, I completely agree with your post there. Like you got to, we pay for that kind of stuff just to make, make it a little bit easier. What's the point?
2: Like what's the point of being successful if then you mentally punish yourself every time you go to spend more money on something that you wouldn't have spent? Like aren't you supposed to? have lifestyle creep. And I think that's that's that, that,
0: that, That's my point is that, uh, but it, but it's funny because what I didn't talk about was the other side, which is obviously everyone understands the dangers of it. Nobody talks about the positives of it, right? Yeah. Now the dangers are obvious and not, not this is dangerous, but you can't go backwards, right? Wait, so, so Wait, so what are you doing? So you're paying, so Robin
2: works, you work. Right. You're a dual income household and you have two kids. Young kids.
0: Yeah. So neither, if you could afford it, neither one of you should be doing laundry. All right, so I, I so- I know th- this sounds like I am. I have delegated my wife to do the laundry. True, I do everything else. That's not true, but, but she, <laughs> but I, but she's not going to want to do the laundry at eight thirty after the kids go to bed. It's absurd. Yeah. So the danger is in general. So yesterday she said to me because she's a, she's a teacher or she's a guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. She'll be off for the summer. She goes, "Can we still have people come to the laundry during the summer?" And I was like, "Oh great, here we go. Uh, so, here we go with that yeah. lifestyle, creep, yeah. Robin." No, but but yes. here's but here's the thing. Sure. Answer, you, yes. You can't go backwards.
1: Yeah. No. So.
0: So in the last two weeks on on Howard Stern was Tom Arnold and David Crosby both broke like literally both of them broke Tom Arnold because Tom
2: Arnold had somebody doing his laundry yeah no, no, no. yeah that's that's a that, huge that, mistake that, that broke
0: the bank but <laughs> but you you can't you can't once you get accustomed to a certain lifestyle like yeah. you're not going to all of a sudden unwind that
3: I think it's the boats the houses the cars yes, it's, the, that's, it's it's it's
0: the fixed expenses that bury you it's not the I, those little
3: services I think are the things that. That you should do. And- That's what
0: you should spend money on. Like to me, right now in my life, the most valuable mm-hmm. thing that I have is my time. And mm-hmm. anything that I can pay for to save time, I'm going to spend money for that.
2: So sprinkles doesn't doesn't let me get away with that argument because I'm always like, why why do I have to do this? Do you have any idea like how much I could read?
0: Well, what do you do that? You don't or don't how much read. I what could do, write? What do you do that I'm- you don't want to do? Ugh, I, we don't we don't have enough time on
2: this podcast. <laughs> let's start no honestly I don't, i'm not believe me i'm not i'm not really complaining i'm like kind of complaining but my argument is always what you just said where i'll be like i would rather spend the next hour reading a book and i mm-hmm. feel like or or writing something or responding to emails i feel like that's a better use, use of, of time. my time why can't we just pay somebody to do that God,
1: your
0: house is immaculate
2: C- true
1: who cleans the house
2: uh, sprinkles, sprinkles?
1: Okay. Oh, we
2: have like you know we have people come once a week to like yeah. really clean yeah. but you can't so
1: so if, that's you you, send, so if you send her on cleaning if people, you send her a birthday
2: card she will like read it over the garbage can like with nothing accumulates in my house things come and they go <laughs> impressive yeah no it's very impressive thank god she because I'm because I'm I would just house. let things pile up but I, anyway I just I feel like you're right once you adjust your lifestyle with these small luxuries and you keep doing it you keep doing it at a certain point, it could get out of hand. But yeah. I do think—
0: So, so, so the, the danger is, like, mm-hmm. if you get accustomed to a Range Rover, you're not going to go back down to a Kia. And that's mm-hmm. that's the dangerous part.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Unless you have to. Unless you're forced to. But, that's not pleasant. But
1: I liked your point. I think there's a middle ground, right? right? You save what you can and spend on the things that make you happy. I think this pandemic has shown your point exactly. Time is money. Yes. Right? invest in yourself and invest in the things you love and i think you'll just have a happier life and things will feel better long term. Um,
2: here here. Let's get into this thing with yeah, Ton- yeah. let's get into this thing with Tony Stick and i have to admit i'm like i've i very much lost touch and lost track with what people are up to but i love Tony and i guess this went on on twitter last week or the week before. Amelia set this up for us. What
1: Yeah, what? actually Jeremy should because Jeremy got the the shout out because you had never met him, right?
2: I had never met
3: Tony, and I, I I put it in here because Josh, I talked to him, and 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 he told me how he met Tyrone Ross was from you, and okay. how I met Tyrone Ross was from you. Okay, and so they put in this Twitter thread how you know he, Tony was having his take care of his his kids. He felt gr- gratitude for all the food he had, and he started he made a you know donation, a matching donation. I'll give a thousand dollars to No Kids Hungry. What was the tweet? My wife
2: is gone today. And I'm charged with lunch. I opened the fridge to plenty of food. Really, whatever the kids wanted. The gratitude is real. So let's fill some kids' bellies. I'll match up to a thousand dollars for any donations made to at No Kid Hungry today. And then he tagged a couple of people. He tagged Tyrone. Um, and then people just went nuts. So
3: he, yeah. so Jamie Carson from uh, Jamie Hopkins from Carson came on and and put put a thousand dollars and did it. Tyrone put a thousand dollars and did it. I've been a friend of Tyrone's we've been at Wisdom Tree we've gotten close to him we're actually in, investors in OnRamp and and big fan of Tyrone's and I yep. I know he supports Nokitong I've wanted to get behind it for a while and I was hosting a barbecue and had I had like three racks of ribs and also a be- couple of beers in you. And I was like I this I got to do it. And so then I I matched uh, Tyrone and and Jamie and also did $1,000 and 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 it basically just started taking off. And you got and he got up to about uh, that day about $20,000 for the the moment. hungry. Let's you know how awesome. many
2: kids $20,000 feed? I found I found out that like 70 cents feeds a kid for a day um Man. based on the way the food pantries work. Mm-hmm because I did this for my book signing, my virtual book signing. Mm-hmm. I asked people if they wanted an autographed copy to make a donation. They told me at the this Long Island Caris, uh Harry Chapin Food Bank, they were like 70 cents is like one kid, one day. And oh, when you nothing. hear that mm-hmm. increment, you're just like,
0: holy cow, this is
2: powerful. So Tony raised 20, 20, is that the
0: number?
1: You got to 40, didn't it? It got up to 40? a crazy number. So he
0: that inspired me. I just went to that site and set up a monthly donation thing because I I give to charity at the end of the year, but why not automate giving the way that I mm-hmm. automate like my savings? So I was happy to do that. And then you, right and all right. So
2: I I guess that's like the part of Twitter that I miss is like my my friends doing cool stuff like that that goes yeah. viral and everyone else jumps on the tr- nobody nobody DM'd me or sent me a text so I didn't hear about it. I would I would have put some money in. Uh, I guess it's I could power, do that.
1: Not power too power late. Of, you still can. Yeah, but it's the power of community, right? That's yeah. the fin-twit world we live in. Um, it's a good
0: peer pressure. You see the people doing it. I said, you know, thanks 100%. for the nudge. Like, so so no, sometimes doing stuff like that, making the announcement could look a little bit gross. It's like give because you want to give. But in, in, with this, when mm-hmm. it motivates others to when give. When it inspires people, yes, it's not gross. Yes, uh, totally. Yeah. I so that. when it inspires other people to give, it's f- amazing we raised wait i didn't do anything but tony and you guys yeah. raised 30 or whatever forty thousand dollars for kids like that's some um, that's amazing
2: i predict that somebody maybe tyrone somebody's going to formalize this amongst like financial i don't even know what you call our community some of us are asset management some of us are advisors but like just media. financial fin- financial media, professionals i don't somebody will formalize this and and do this for real like like big, big numbers. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised nobody has yet. Um, but maybe I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it's so I think it's really cool. I was excited when I saw this and it was news to me. Um, let's talk about this California rent forgiveness thing. What's going on here?
0: Well that's crazy. What's going on is they had more in aid than they needed. Uh Who's they? California. California. Yeah. So California got federal aid. California received a ton of federal aid. Mm-hmm. And thank God they're Fiscal situation was not as dire as they originally anticipated, so they had money left over, and they're using it to wipe away some rent. But there are some d- details in here that are insane. So they're looking to, to pay one hundred percent of unpaid rent. Some people are saying that this is a political stunt. It doesn't fix anything. It's a bandit. Mm-hmm. It's political posturing. I totally get that because it's this is not mm-hmm. fixing anything. It's just a one time one time deal. But what's nuts is. This will be available to residents who earn no more than 80% of the median income in the area. So in San Francisco, a family of four would have to earn less than $146,000 to qualify. That's a lot. Of, <laughs> that's a lot of money. Which that, is,
1: that That statistic is crazy. Right? That that's a, lo- that's a, a low number. income
0: resident of San Francisco. That's a lot. So, I mean, <laughs> but it's, it's not just, it's not just California. 22 states have unused pandemic relief money. Idaho, for example, I, I don't know if this because a lot of people moved to Idaho, uh, is on track for a record-breaking $800 million surplus.
2: Because a lot of people move there. Boise is like
0: the new boomtown. Boise. Right, but, but what's going on in California is 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 pretty rough. So whose
2: rent gets wiped out? People who are earning less than 80% of the median income in what? Their county?
0: Uh, I forget what the exact details were. Let me, let me try so if they, they owe the rent, they yeah. owe back rent.
3: This was like that meme where you just shouldn't pay rent, right? Like uh, Nick FP or something like that was always talking about not paying rent
2: on, on Twitter. Well, they had a they had like a they had a moratorium that you can't, or that you can't make somebody pay rent. But I guess that ends, and then you, do you still owe the money? You still owe back rent. I don't. I I, don't no, I, I think this wipes it away. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. I'm guessing New York doesn't have a surplus, or am I wrong? Well,
1: we're using that. I think that's going towards infrastructure. Biden just discussed this. They're going to use their the American Rescue Plan. I think if it's like 40, $400 billion being re- repurposed to infrastructure, I, I think it still has to be approved by Congress, but they were talking about that today. So they're going right. to use it purely for that. All right,
0: so, so this this is rough. This paragraph is just brutal. California already has more than half of the nation's unsheltered homeless population. Each, yes. each night, about 114,000 Californians sleep outside or in their cars.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the cost is no mystery. The state has a 700,000 median home value, and renters are among the most nations among the nation's most burdened. 27.3 percent of tenants pay more than half of their pre-tax income in rent. Mm-hmm. That is not. Just, okay. That's you can't live that way.
2: So they they haven't built appropriately for the amount of people there.
1: Mm-hmm. But I think that's the argument. Right? Should should the government spending on that or the homeless issue. I mean, same with New York, right? I, I we have our, I
0: think we have ninety thousand people on mm-hmm. the streets, so it's not good.
1: San Francisco, though. I mean, traveling there for work, it's a dire situation. New York is, and you see after this pandemic, I think there's more.
0: You yeah, know the stuff. In, I mean, obviously, I, I you know we're in New York, but the stuff in San Francisco seems like an, an, an emergency.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it doesn't the, seem
1: the right way to allocate that. And listen,
0: as far as wiping out, uh, some people might not like this opinion, but I feel like. Wealthy people have, have enjoyed enough breaks, like, giving some money to people that, like, really and truly desperately need it. Like, are we really going to get upset about that? Mm-hmm. If
2: you wipe out the rent for people, they're going to still spend – they're going to spend money in the economy that's not just going to a landlord. It's not like the money is lost – Doing that, like it's
0: it's a form of stimulus. Again, the problem is this is a one-time shot in the arm. It doesn't fix the the underlying
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, disease. Well, and this is the debt forgiveness discussion you're going to have in in all sorts of places, like the student debt issues that they've talked about. Same how much, thing.
2: Same thing. Exactly. But uh, it's it's not like it's not like money that you when you do debt forgiveness for student loans, you're basically making it so that people can buy a home earlier, or upgrade their apartment, or spend money on furnishings or travel. The money still gets spent; it's just a question of who's the final recipient. But I guess of it.
0: The, yeah, the the thing is: so what do you do about people that just finished paying their student loans? What do you do about the next wave of of, of borrowers? It doesn't mm-hmm. fix anything.
2: The bigger issue is: what do you do about the people that paid off their own student loan? That's what I'm saying, and then get super triggered. Yeah. Because
0: the and the, or generation. you paid
3: your rent, you feel like you shouldn't have paid your rent, and I right. guess right. other people
1: paid their. That's rent. That's where I'd be. I be in the no, don't pay. Rent yeah, I category. did. The, I did the
0: right thing, and now I'm getting. Uh, now I'm getting. Now everyone's yeah. Everyone's I totally get away that. So return expectations are absolutely insane. Um, the Texas did this global investment survey. Mm-hmm. John, throw these th- throw some of these charts up. So uh, return. So they they surveyed eighty five hundred. Listen, I'm I'm a big anti survey guy. I take these with a boulder of salt. But still, <laughs> I love a survey. <laughs> they surveyed eighty five hundred investors with at least hundred thousand dollars of investable assets. Retail investors. Retail investors. Okay. And the average expected, Jeremy, listen to this. Long term, real return expectations, fourteen and a half percent. Fourteen and a half percent. Fourteen and a half percent for when real. For how? Long term, it didn't specify. Here we go, and this is on a year by year basis. So they just the more stocks rise, the more scary, the more bullish people get. Now, what do we think? React.
3: I mean, we're talking if real, (laughs) real after inflation returns on the U.S. under five, and I mean the long terms were six, seven, six to six and a half to seven, and at a twenty at above twenty PEs, which is where we're selling, it's it's likely below five. I mean, a little bit below five now higher inflation, so maybe you get eight. Right? So eight. it's but-
0: it's funny. P- investors have been bullish for a long time. And I've been on the other side of this calling for lower returns. I guess people have been like not bullish enough because we've gotten 15% a year for the last five years, but this can't continue indefinitely. John, just throw the other chart. So this breaks it down by geography. So US investors are a little bit uh, out of their minds. Look at the bottom. Oh
2: my God. Wait, so hold on. So everyone's got high return expectations, but these aren't are these for people's 161%. local markets? Yes.
0: So they so they they surveyed investors, like just global investors and financial professionals, and mm-hmm. the gap between financial professionals and investors is is gigantic. So US professionals are expecting 6.7 real still probably a little bit optimistic. US investors, again, they, they, they uh, surveyed 750 investors. So is that large? This enough? is wild. Well, maybe
3: 17- this is the Reddit traders who's playing with leverage and they're, they're getting two to one leverage 17, and they're
0: going to get it. 17.5%. <laughs> so all of the professional investors
2: in all of these countries Italy, Mexico, Singapore, Spain. Hey, where the hell's Japan? Not on, not on they the don't mind. invest in equities. Well, <laughs> all, all of the financial professionals in these countries have return expectations, I guess, for their own local stocks mm-hmm. of less than 7%. You know who's
0: on the bottom? That's interesting. Italy. Italian financial professionals are expecting
2: Canadians, 3.8%. And in Cana-
0: Canada.
1: Where's Canada?
2: Uh, Canadian investors, regular investors, are saying 11.2% yeah. versus U.S. saying 17.5%. Why are the Canadians well, so bearish on their stocks? They
0: only have Shopify. We've got five big ones.
2: Right. They have oil companies, banks, and Shopify. You uh, do an
3: inverse weighting tied to the, the, the lowest return expectations here, probably your highest weight. You've spent, <laughs> like, Jeremy,
2: cook something up. You've, sp- you've spent like 15 years traveling the world meeting with investors. Like as a rule, you find that U.S. investors are hands down the most bullish or not necessarily – I mean, I never asked the
3: questions in this exact way. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I I find skeptics. I mean, we're talking with a lot of institutional investors. So, it depends when, who you talk to. And so, there's skeptics everywhere. Right. Um, so, I, I I think the people I'm talking to are probably that financial professionals who they're they're discerning. I mean, they, they like the U.S. They like the U.S. markets, and and they so they they probably agree generally with the trend that the U.S. has. They tend to be overweight. A lot of the people we talked to will will overweight the U.S. for some other global markets.
2: When you talk to Europeans or Asians and you ask them about U.S. stocks, are they more bullish on our market than their own? And is that basically recency bias? There's always been this home country bias no matter where you live. You tend Mm -hmm. to be overweight
3: your own market relative to its size. Right. So that's true, you know, in Japan. It's true in Australia. It's true everywhere um but you know i'd say you know because we're so big we're extra susceptible to that so like a lot of the other markets will have a more global mandate in a lot of what they do well
0: these people better be prepared to be disappointed severely disappointed if we see
2: 17.5 percent long-term returns in the stock market that would be at a hundred thousand, like in 10 years what in percent <laughs>
3: what percent do you think uh, is retail doing it themselves versus is finding advisors like yourselves what do you mean like in terms of this so you have the individuals and then you have the financials oh
0: these mm-hmm. the, these are these are 100% diyers
3: right so ha- what percent of the ass the investors in the like the assets in the us do you think are diyers versus uh, use a professional i've always heard it's a
2: third but i don't know where that came from
0: do you have the number no a th- a third, a th- <laughs> th- a, i've always heard it's a
2: third do-it-yourselfer, mm-hmm. but I don't know where I heard that number from. I
1: heard that too. I don't have any idea then, where I heard it from. Either. And then
2: somebody told me that a lot of the people who identify as do-it-yourself investors also have either a broker or advisor, mm-hmm. and they think that they're doing it themselves, um, but they're not, or they're giving orders to somebody. Well, Amelia, how
0: many how, how many RAs on. are there?
1: Right now, God, we have like different statistics for that, but 11,000, and okay. then- Eleven thousand um, firms. And what's yep. the
0: average number of households per per RA? Do we have that data? Within that, do you think? Do we think it's like a two hundred? It's a hundred per. Hundred. It's a hundred households it's more. per advisor. All right, we're
2: not yeah, going to. We're not definitely gonna, more. We're not going
0: to get to the bottom of this, but <laughs> let's just call it a third.
2: Uh, well, people are going to be disappointed then. But let's say you think it's seventeen and a half percent, and we've had fourteen and a half percent over ten years for the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Let's say that kept going for another five years.
0: It's been 17% for five <laughs> years,
2: by the way. So on the nose. Oh, so maybe that's, <laughs> where that's where they're coming up with that number. So
0: finish your thought.
2: No, I just feel like even if you're disappointed and you don't get the number you thought and you still get higher than average returns, it's not terrible. Um, but we were reading new normal stuff in 2011, 10 years ago, that was telling us to expect lower returns. We saw
0: we saw el uh, Elarian speak in 2012. And that guy was smooth as butter, just talking about, like, walking slowly away from risk.
2: Yeah, a little, it was a little early. Um, it, but in their defense, they run more bonds than stocks. And
0: they were running right the economy, which is kind of the, 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 the part that gets lost. Do
2: you, guys ha- do you guys have a house view on expected returns for U.S. stocks, bonds, et cetera? I mean with bonds, you just take the starting yield. So for that's where years, you, t- yeah, yeah. you take
3: the tips yield and you got the negative eighty basis points on the ten-year tips. Um and I, I would say for equities, I I wouldn't do much better than Siegel's inverse of the PE ratio today. So the sort of take the twenty-two P ratio, one divided by twenty-two, gives you that slightly below five. Um mm-hmm. and that's that I think that's a pretty reasonable way
2: of looking at the sort of five to seven year type outlook. Okay. Um, let's go into soapbox. So basically, uh, I, I was thinking along the same lines, demographic change is probably underrated. Just thinking about like, I mentioned 10 million new accounts opened for the first time, like first time investors this year, mm-hmm. another 10 million last year. So this year will probably be, finish even higher. You have 25 million new people in the market, give or take, let's say they have very different attitudes about what to invest in and why than my generation, older generations. Um, There are going to be a lot of puzzling things that go on in the markets, I feel like, over the next five, 10 years, where the answer is just going to be very simple. This is a new generation. It's Mm -hmm. like the demography. Mm -hmm. Same thing with housing. Um, Ben wrote about housing trends and the role that demography plays. He basically explained why demographics are a bigger force uh, in the housing market than most other things. And he's been saying this for years. He
1: predicted this in 2018.
0: Yeah, a listener emailed us saying like, and this is funny, this is like the fifth time we've had somebody email us saying that I'm listening, I just found you guys, I'm listening to your podcast in order. So, okay. (laughs) There's a Um, lot of
2: bad takes in there too though.
0: Yeah, tons, tons. (laughs) Um, But Ben in 2018 spoke about this. So kudos to Ben.
1: You guys are like the Simpsons. You know they predict things too.
2: (laughs) So I love I love I love that chart that he had showing how many 30 how many 30 somethings now. so this is the, the 10 most common ages in America, and he got this from the u s census in 2010, the most common age in America was 50 wow and, and in 2020
0: it was 29 look but look, what, but look it, it was it was 50 and 49 and 48 and 47 46 in 2010.
2: Those are in the top 10.
3: Now then, it's
0: 29, 30, 28 70. I mean this matters a lot
1: mm-hmm.
3: Move to the suburbs, you know, it's uh, the question was always going to be, I mean, I, I was a Philly downtown person. And the question was, we had our two kids. It's like, are people going to move to the suburbs? Or And everyone said, no, we're gonna stay in the city. We're gonna yeah, stay right. in the city. We were a little early, like four years ago, moving to the suburbs. But I think it's the course of life. You go, you know, you go out you to go the out, suburbs. Amelia you just leave. moved to
0: the suburbs of Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn Heights now, guys. <laughs> <You're> I'm basically, <laughs> in, basically the in the suburbs. It's yeah. like a family. Everyone's. Everyone has a family. The strollers and dogs. Strollers we did and it, dogs. We everywhere. did it. At,
2: we did it at like thirty-one, and I remember at twenty-five, nobody was moving. Like we were, in, we were up Upper East Side Manhattan. We had a huge yeah. group of friends, and and people like slowly you started to see people trickle away. Yeah. And then I think two thousand eight, the financial crisis. Everybody's just like, I don't care about Broadway shows anymore. I got to get out of here. I got to go get a house. Yeah, and, you know. So I think. I, th- I think that's going to be a, a major change, is suburbanization. And the pandemic probably just sped something up that would have mm-hmm. already happened.
1: But on the financial financial crisis, right? So the people that have graduated just around when the financial crisis happened, they're finally at the point where they've accumulated enough wealth to buy houses, right? They're in their, their early 30s, 35, 36. They're bald. They're bald, they're aging. They've seen it all. They live through they paying people
0: it. to do their laundry. They <laughs> prematurely
2: aged. Exactly.
1: But I think you add that in, then you add the freeing up of these high-income individuals who can go anywhere, right, with virtual working. Of course, there's well, a lack. Well, that's another
2: huge change.
1: It's a, I mean, the pandemic, I think, is still the cause of this, right? I it's, think
2: they were going to go. But I think, to Jeremy's point, I think they were going to go anyway. And they, they were going to go anyway, but I think it expedited.
1: It expedited yeah. the process. I mean, my friends, I'm 28. I actually looked to buy a house. Looked in at uh, Brooklyn Heights, one point five million for a one bedroom. So that's a steal. May take me a decade to buy that.
3: But come down to Philly. I mean, I gotta go. I gotta Philly's change. A good deal. Brooklyn Heights
1: is the wrong suburb to buy in. Yeah, yeah. But
3: it's hot everywhere. But I, I, yeah. I, one of my friends is in the market looking, and, and there was a million dollar house. They bid. They bid like fifty thousand
2: over. No contingencies. The house went for one point two. I yep. mean, it's, it's yeah. a crazy well, market. Any part mm-hmm. of the country where you could do knowledge work. Has always been a very strong housing market in the last mm-hmm. ten years, but now you can do knowledge work anywhere, which I think changes things for a lot of like secondary and tertiary areas of the country. Um, so I, don't, I I feel like we're going to ask these questions like what's going on, and most most of the time you could just point to demographics, and and I think that's going to mm-hmm. be a really good answer for a lot of things.
1: Absolutely.
2: Uh, who's going next, Amelia?
1: Yes. I'm up. Get on the
2: soapbox. What do you got?
1: Hello, thanks for having me on the soapbox. (laughs) So I think a big one, we've touched on this, Bitcoin, crypto. I actually think RAA should pay less attention to all that noise and other retail investor trends and pay more attention to leverage, the types of buyers that are entering the space. I mean, M&A is rampant. We break news on that every day. But I also think a huge part of it too is the services that you have to offer beyond investment management. I mean, a huge trend in all my meetings is Advisors are trying to scale their practice to add on these layers, like we just mentioned, tax and estate planning on behavioral incorporating principles of behavioral finance, education, making sure they're talking to their clients. I mean, they went from being a planner to basically a therapist, right, during the pandemic. So how can they scale their practice to have these services in-house? I mean, the, the service model has changed. You have to have a value add. I think you have to have something different. This is
2: a good point. Like if you're an advisor and you're like, how do I do crypto for clients? Yeah. And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Your clients don't really need that or they might be interested in that, Mm -hmm. but you don't even know how to give them good answers on taxes. Like, are you, are you addressing the right issue as a business owner, as an RIA Mm -hmm. owner? That's that's a good point.
1: And I think, I mean, loads of RIAs are actually hiring CPAs in-house. It's, yes. it's a need, I, and I think there's really complicated tax going on right now too. If you don't have a CPA in house to answer that, they're going to go somewhere else that does.
2: We just did that this summer. We brought on we brought on an accountant. Like
1: you did, wow. See?
2: So we have two now. Philadelphia, in Philadelphia. No, you're ahead of the game for you exactly know. that reason. We surveyed our clients and asked them if we were if we were willing to do tax work for them, would they be interested? And do you remember what the number was? Mm-hmm. Like 70 something? Yeah. It's like it 70 sense. something. Percent. How do you not
0: consider taxes
2: yeah. when you're doing planning location?
3: Like there could, there's a whole element of designing investment strategies just for tax planning. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. I've talked with some, some tax people about like really being more thoughtful about even creating new, new
2: strategies tied to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good point. All right. What
1: it's all. Yeah. It all ties into planning and he, you just put up Kits's article on this too. This is, this is later on what I'm reading or what I read this week, but this ties into it too. It's, how financial planning, it differs for young clients. So this goes into the next gen. So people think like the complicated times are with the retirees or in the baby boomers because they have more life transition events. But if you look at people in their twenties to forties, what do you have? We move jobs a lot, career changes, people buying houses, having a child, getting married, then maybe getting divorced, then getting remarried, right? There's so many, I'm sorry. (laughs) aggressive that laundry if you don't keep getting that laundry woman I'm sorry alright so to
0: sum up Amelia CityWire thinks that crypto is bullshit right <laughs>
1: <laughs> not the opinions of the house how the opinions how city, of Amelia <laughs>
0: so
2: I'm hold, i have the, I have the latest CityWire with my friend Carolyn McClanahan on hold the cover it up. and we love Thank you and we love Carolyn uh, yes have you guys had a crypto cover yet because I, I feel like that's coming
1: We've had we've we've written about it a lot. We no, actually cover. Oh, cover. Oh, you want? Di- yeah, digital. Yeah, we got to do that. <laughs> I
2: feel like is going to be yeah. the crypto Tyrone, cover. Yeah. All right.
1: He's got to be. I mean, he's the one.
0: Jeremy, what's up? So, I, J- was gonna, I was
3: going to. You gonna mentioned on
2: ramp before,
0: by the way.
1: Yeah, and uh, let me just
3: sort of piggyback what. She was just saying that in terms of maybe they should pay less attention to the price, but more attention to the planning and the and education mm-hmm. and be able to incorporate it.
0: Like that's I, what we're trying to
3: do, right? You want to see what your clients hold. Like it's it, it's in part of responsibility of the plan to know like are they doing stuff, and it's hard to see it today. Well, right?
0: you could we could report without giving advice, right? We don't have price targets, but we should be able to. If this is your assets, you are delivering a financial plan. This should be part of the plan.
2: So we, we invested in on ramp also. And I had reporters like immediately being like, so you guys recommending crypto. No, mm-hmm. but how can we do a financial plan for someone if they have, you know, $500,000 in crypto and I'm pretending it doesn't exist Yeah, rather than pulling in that data, which is the purpose of on ramp. Mm-hmm. Like there may come a time when we're actively allocating. It's not today. Uh, that may happen, but right now, the main thing I think financial planners and advisors have to do is be able to give people answers about what, whatever crypto they have, how it might impact their planning, how the volatility differs from the volatility of the other assets. Like, you see it the same way? Yeah, and they they just launched something
3: called the Academy uh, that Wisdom Tree is now producing some content, putting it on the Academy. They're going to have a lot of good thought partners. and, And it's just an education tool so that people can get their heads wrapped around all the different crypto assets, not just Bitcoin and Ether. They have deep dives on a lot of different uh, a lot of the different assets as, and just general good thought pieces on getting educated to help you help your clients. The integration, I think, is useful. Uh, we did a press release saying we're working on models with them and so that we've launched a series of models that people want to understand how, you know, get some education. What on portfolio how to models that include
2: crypto assets, digital yes. assets? Yeah, Bitcoin and Ether. Okay. So the RA, the future, is doing people's taxes and recommending crypto. <laughs> And hopefully, yeah, paying, just,
1: just get rid of that last part, and you're good.
2: <laughs> hopefully, paying taxes uh, for their clients on the crypto. Uh, okay, Jeremy, you're up. So, one of the things, uh, in the
3: factor world is that a lot of the factors are sort of morphing. Like, so you know, I think one of the things going on is momentum for the last decade. You know, if you thought if you were buying a momentum fund, you, you often thought of it as the fang trade, they yep. were what's working. And some of the big indexes, like in Momentum in particular, only rebalance twice a year. Like the MSCI index is a semi-annual. And all the academics talk about, it's like a monthly rebalance. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting. They just all loaded up on value just recently. Um,
0: I don't think investors really want Momentum because the ETFs are tiny. Mm -hmm. um, And what they're getting from MTOOM is like, I don't know. I don't want to say a bastardized version, but it's certainly not the academic the momentum Interpre- ETF bought event.
2: all these value stocks right at the top. And It's only gonna change twice a year. I
0: well mean, we don't know if it was the top, but
1: it was not a great time. I
2: kinda know. I can't, I'm on TV telling people it was the top. No, I <laughs> I I think uh not the top. So wait, so 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 what are we so what are we thinking changes then if as people realize that? Or it's just kind of like Wisdom Tree doesn't have a momentum ETF, do you? Um, interesting timing for that.
3: I mean, we did launch something today, actually, called our, our growth in momentum. So we actually worked with the O'Neill, Bill O'Neill is one of the original growth investors and has some really interesting technical is that analysis IBD, stuff. IBD, he was the, you know, the yeah. founder of IBD and and, yeah. and 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 really was like you know fifty years ago one of the leading growth investors. And he's got a monthly rebalancing type index that that we worked with to to bring to market today. But it's, all right,
0: all right, what's the ticker? <laughs> He's w- not a, I don't even think you're allowed. Wgro, you
3: allowed t- Wgro.
2: All right, I'm allowed to say the ticker is the rule. Wgro. Um, you think you think there's too much fascination with momentum right now, or?
3: Well, I think one of the th- things I was going on it was just you know if, if for the momentum that they are morphing. You want to think about it in a more updated, dynamic process. But also, I was going to say, you know, I came back to. That I we started the conversation that we thought there's going to be more of these tremors from the Fed getting more hawkish. So you, I think things that are a little bit more defensive, like quality, is interesting. Quality's been the one factor that's really lagged this year. I, I had a chart showing of the factors. It's been a high beta rally, and quality is yeah. like the worst. And I mean, there's been like a thirty to forty point spread between we have that we have that here between a, high quality and low quality stocks, and. You know, I would say when I look at traditional things that select like Warren Buffett type high return equity stocks, they're now where they would have been a growth basket before. Like today, they're in the value quadrant of Morningstar. So
0: I was going to say, what if like what we think of as high quality, what if the businesses are just changing so much that low quality businesses based on like ROIC metrics and whatever, like are the businesses of the future? And I know that sounds very toppy and it's different this time, but what do you think?
3: I think it's the cyclical rotation story more than anything. And then what what got killed during the pandemic is what's rallying. And and then you had sort of the banks, the energy. You know, so it's it, it was is it unique to what's going on now. Not
0: not to get too deep into this, but was the uh interest rate rising killing the growth stock narrative bullshit now that they've they've also one thousand growth is at an all time high, NASDAQ's back at an all time high, arc arc ETF is well, rocking. Rates again. fell
2: arc. rates fell too though.
0: Not that much.
2: I'm, well, we thought they were going to 2%, and now they're back under one5 So,
0: But they never wanted to.
2: Right, but the mentality around right. rates changed really quickly.
3: Jamie, what do you think? It's a narrative that's driving the market, um, and they do trade. I mean, you do see higher rates. The growth stocks were selling off this year. How much is it tied into just a complete market rotation versus, like, is it really should, – should that 10-year rising 50 basis points actually – cause this huge growth sale off what it, if it changes the sentiment. But though.
0: but 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 what if all of the sudden you're paying 90 times sales for Zoom and Snowflake and mm-hmm. Unity and all those names and now we're getting like 12% earnings growth in Boeing and Caterpillar. And so we're like getting it's, – it's more earnings growth than anything else. You
3: are getting a lot better earnings growth in the values, value indexes today. I mean the cyclical indexes are going to show better earnings
2: growth because they were so depressed
3: before. And they were
0: cheap and, to begin with. And so it's, it's compressed multiples with earnings growth. Like that's pretty – that's a combustible fire.
2: I always say to people, why not just own both? And they look at me with three heads. I understand you want to overweight one or the other. Okay, that makes sense. But why you could do we just have be, to choose? Because you could just buy one fund and own the world in one fund and then
3: you have nothing fun to do. That's not fun. Yeah. Well, that's but true too.
1: On that though, do you think that, I mean, these are all US companies we're talking about. Do you think quality only works in the US or does it work globally?
3: I mean, the research tends to show quality has been a global phenomenon. I think it, it's it's a it, – and I think quality is cheap globally. When I've looked at some of the indexes we track for quality stocks, mm-hmm. usually they're at a premium internationally. Like a, call it a three, four, or five multiple yeah. point premium. Today, the index we have is cheaper than the market. Um, the U.S. one is like cheaper than value indexes, which is – Quality is cheaper than value. Cheaper than the Russell 1000 value Despite having like a profitability number that's higher than the S and P, versus so like other than
0: GameStop, lower. what are some of the big names in the quality basket? right now? <laughs> You'll get AMC. traditional
3: tech companies. You'll get a Microsoft. You get Apple. You'll get like that's
0: like Cisco, huh. Staples. Intel. Um, Michael, what's your soapbox? Um, we're kind of running late, so why don't we skip my soapbox? It wasn't interesting anyway. All right, let's
2: go to let's let's go to favorites. I'll go first, very quickly. I can't stop listening to Tim Dillon's yes. podcast, yes.
1: and watching yes. his
2: YouTube. Uh, Amelia, you're a huge fan. Josh,
1: do you know he's coming to New York, July fifteenth? You're going, and it's right near, near my birthday, where so is I it? think we should go for my birthday. Where is it? It's at um God, where is it? I just looked this up.
2: It's a comedy club, or Caroline's? I mean, maybe?
0: he he, yep. he he's out of control. I listened to one of his podcasts the other day because Josh put me out to him. He's out of control.
3: You made me listen Caroline's. to it last night, so I I listened to one of my first ones last night. It's he's so okay, okay. Uh,
2: okay. what I I'll just say quickly. I think he's the funniest person in America right now. I think he's almost like an anarchist, like just burning everything down, and I love it, and I'm here for it. He
1: doesn't care. He's I offending
2: everyone. He's fearless. He doesn't apologize. I think he's the perfect antidote to what Twitter has done to the country where nobody's allowed to say anything anymore. And what's so powerful about what he's doing is that he has his own platform. He could tone it down a notch. He could tone it down a notch and <laughs> still be great, but like, you, you can't speak to the manager like yeah. if you don't like what he's saying, you can't you can't he doesn't tweet. Have a <laughs> you can't tweet at HBO or Netflix and say take this guy off yeah. because he's doing this all by himself. Uh, I I just I think uh he's he's if you're not listening to him yet and you're easily offended, maybe don't start. Yeah, no, no, but no. if you <laughs> if you like to laugh and you don't get offended or triggered every 5 seconds, like um that might be a a good thing for us to put you on to. Uh Amelia, what's Wait, yours? Duncan,
0: you a Tim Dillon fan?
1: Uh, I, I'm actually not too familiar. Other than Josh talking about him, I've watched some of his social media content, that kind of stuff.
2: Dude, like five minutes in, you're going to be like, I can't believe that he really just say that. <laughs> but he
3: tackles this. I mean, the one episode I only watched, listened to one episode. I am not an expert. Which one? I listened to, I think the last one where he, he covered the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So he, he Yeah, he, he fixed that. He, he <laughs>
0: tackles some <laughs> <with> serious
2: issues. <laughs> he resolved that.
0: He was
1: also on the Joe Rogan show with uh,
0: with Alex Jones, which was interesting.
2: Yeah, he well, so he's like, He's not just saying things to shock people. He's not outrageous for no reason. He's trying to make, I think, intelligent points. Mm-hmm. But he makes he makes you laugh. Um, Amelia, what do you got?
1: Michael, I'm not just saying this because you're I'm on this podcast with you, you. and I'm you're right in front of me. But seriously, your piece blink in blushing. the Irrelevant Investor still is moving me this week. I, I think I you. sent it to not exactly. only all my colleagues, but all my friends, because I think it's such a good reminder for all of us and it was so beautiful and thank, thank you it. for sharing well, the story thank, of your mother. Thank
0: you for sending me a nice note. I appreciate that. Of
1: course. That. So Michael
2: so first of all Michael can write.
1: You're an incredible writer. Oh, and I think
2: he's self-deprecating like it's he doesn't I don't think he thinks of himself as a writer. I think he thinks of himself as somebody who's clever and can write a 200-word blog yeah. post, but Michael can Michael can write, it turns out. Well, I my favorite this,
1: quote was I'm successful because I don't yearn for more. And I think let's just let that sit. I like because it. that is, I think, a motto we should all live by. Right, in I, every aspect of your life, not even work. Right, I, I personally. like. It.
2: You, uh, you came with some more. What? What else? I came you got? with a lot,
1: guys. I'm sorry. That's I, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm getting excited by what's been going on this week. So I'm big fan of Patrick O'Shaughnessy and his invest like the best podcast. So I listen to his episode with Howard Marks, which was really interesting. I mean, they touched on crypto value, everything. A lot of what we discussed today is Bitcoin, the new gold, um, all of it. So that was a really awesome episode. And then Kits's, which we put up earlier. And then I'm a big, the daily list. Wait, what aren't? about
0: kits's? financial the, planning the, for his financial young planning clients? For young, young clients.
1: Okay. Yeah. I love his stuff. I mean, it's super short. Wait, he, what? I love Kits. I love Kits. As, super as, as
0: short. Super Sh- short. Short All the, compared to the Torah. <laughs> <All> the, <laughs> Wait, what's short about it?
1: This one. This, this one, one short. was short. Okay. This one was short. Okay. This one was short, guys. This Comparatively, not not to the others, but um, it was a great synopsis of, of where we should focus in the industry today. He always has very thought-provoking pieces. Well, I think I mean, the,
2: the point that he's making is that it's not easy to bill a young person on assets because they don't have any, but they have he was already- as great a financial advice need yeah. as somebody that does have a lot yeah. of assets so advisors are going to have to think about how to get paid for working with this client yeah. before mm-hmm. they and michael i, I thought it was it was a, it was a well done uh yeah. it was a well done he piece.
1: reads probably the same as you josh i mean he, he he's is, like 50 I think, times smarter than me he's but he's kind of never
2: <laughs> but but but
1: you guys both read so much but
2: i do read a lot but michael is michael is uh Required reading, I think, for for our industry. Yeah. Um, and no, I
1: recommend them to most. This RIAs. Another
2: reason why. Uh, Jeremy, mRNA vaccines. I read this thing this morning Crazy. on the way here. Holy
3: cow! It's incredible what's happening. And so you hear of the this co- convergence of technologies and how the pandemic sped everything up and sort of sped it up in the cloud. It sped it up, and you you hear like how everything's coming together. So like artificial intelligence developments, computing power coming together. And we're about to, I think, have this huge transformation in all sorts of biology-based fields. Uh, and these vaccines—I mean, there's now infrastructure. Mm-hmm. When you learn about the 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 what's underlying these vaccines, the MRNAs won't change; they just sort of change the programming. And so, they now have this infrastructure to treat all sorts of new things. Uh, and sort of the, the, some of the key researchers were from University of Pennsylvania, so I also love that they're in my backyard. And it's Right. You know, they talk about there was like 30 things that they can attack,
2: and they started with five of them. AIDS, cancer, like all kinds of-
3: Flu,
1: malaria.
2: Flu. So I thought this was crazy, just the sheer amount of money that's been thrown at mRNA research since the pandemic started and how that's like jump-starting this whole new way to create uh, vaccines and Mm -hmm. get these things like done. One guy's talking about you could- Come up with a vaccine in the morning and have it formulated by the afternoon. Two days it took them for COVID.
0: I'm only I'm only sort of half kidding, but if if we start to see medical advances like really big leaps, how long before people are like, listen, the
2: pandemic was g- a good thing?
0: No, a bad thing because people are going to be living too long. We're not meant to live that That's long. That's what you're worried. <laughs> we I'm are going to be look, living the, longer. The, the same for way sure. the same way that we jump from like oh we're worried <laughs> like we skip worrying about high gr- yeah. about. Good growth, we just go to overheating. It it might be the same thing with this. It's going to happen. Where it's like people aren't supposed to live to one hundred thirty. We're overpopulating the planet. We're resource depleted. As as as. That was my
3: second article. Was that we are no longer going to be resource depleted on food? Was that we are now in the same the same technology that's advancing in biology is going to let us grow food in a way that is like ninety percent less greenhouse gas. And you are going to actually. It's not going to be fake meat. It's actually lab grown meat. It's unbelievable. I mean Which,
2: to me it's still fake meat. It, yeah, I don't
1: know I, it's I gonna actually that. be real. I, I love mean. I
3: love the idea of lab
2: grown meat. It's gonna be unbelievable. I
3: mean
1: Josh, you and I, we're not gonna eat that. This article
2: <laughs> said there are one point five billion cows on Earth, and they're saying that they could take one perfect cow, get its cells, and start making steaks. And they're doing it. I Let's, mean there's
3: three companies today that are already oh. doing it. There's chicken in Singapore that's being sold. Um there's they're talking about
0: it China's growing bats in a lab for us to eat.
2: Yeah, listen. <laughs> listen, you had me you had you had me at the vaccines. Okay. You lost me <laughs> at the at the lab grown meat. But But it's uh, going to be a real thing. People should read this article. The mRNA vaccine revolution is just beginning. This is at Wired and it's uh, honestly, it's like one of the most bullish things that I've read. Like just reasons to be upbeat and bullish and positive. How many things they think they're going to be able to attack now that are killing people every year and how quick like most of the time, when you read about medical breakthroughs, they're like decades away. Mm-hmm. This seems like it's today, and the pandemic obviously sped up mm-hmm. um, all, all all of it. So I thought this was a really cool. Uh, I'm still uh, piece. I'm
0: still I'm still bearish.
2: Um, did you bring a favorite this week? <laughs> well, what do you mean this week? What did I do last week? Oh no, no, I was just asking if you brought one. I mean,
0: my, I reserve my good stuff for animal spirits.
2: Fair, but I could appreciate that. But uh,
0: you know, I've been enjoying the NBA playoffs. I mean, unbelievable. Boo. My god, I'm all your um,
2: Sixers got wiped out. <laughs> I'm not sorry, not sorry Same. to see
0: Eagles fans losing. Um Trey Young is incredible. Just uh just incredible. So, so that's, annoying. that's been great.
2: I I think I think this series Trey Young against uh Giannis that we're going to get to watch now. We have one game down, but like I feel like this could be way better than watching LeBron and Curry again. Mm. Um so I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish on the whole thing. Do you have a prediction for the finals?
0: Um, I do think, nah, I guess, uh, well, Suns are going to win. I mean, they're up two zero, 0 And uh, Hawks are looking good. I don't know. I'd say Sun, Suns-Bucks
2: Bucks and Suns win. The
0: Bucks bench is really, really shitty. I don't, I don't know how they could slow them down. So we'll see. But, but, but Bogdanovich can't really move much either, and that's a problem. But All right. So we're going to keep
2: watching that. So uh, we're going to wrap up here. We don't have, like, an official way to wrap up other than to say, did everybody have fun today? Too much fun. Too much fun. All right. We did wow. a lot of reading for this, too.
1: This is awesome. All
2: right. Uh, we want to send everybody to make sure they check out our other podcast, The Gold Mine. Check out Animal Spirits, which features Mike and Ben Carlson. And thanks for tuning in today. Look for us every Friday morning. And hit the YouTube page if you want to see live clips uh, of us making the show. You could find us at YouTube.com backslash RWM. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. You guys ready to do it for real now? <laughs> Should we turn on the equipment? Let's do it. And yeah, we got we got all the we got all the butterflies out. Why are you giggling? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks guys.